0: All right, I'm Chris Savino with American Outdoor News, and today we're with Michael Jensen of
1: GPO Optics. Mike, thanks for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome for having me. Um, it's always fun to talk outdoors and optics and hunting and all those other kind of fun topics. Well, to start out, I, I have a, a, a pretty
0: specific question. <laughs> sure. What separates German optics from U.S. optics? And and what makes them better if they are better?
1: Yeah, I think what it really boils down to, I mean, the optics technology globally is getting very, very close. Um, you know, so um, they know what they know here, what they know in Germany, what they know in Asia. 20 years ago, you bought something out of Germany versus Asia versus the United States, and the quality gaps were tremendous between them. Yep. Modern-day technology with global information sharing and and you know better factories coming online, better technology, that gap has got very very close. So to you know to kind of answer your question, the real separation between a German-based product line and an other country-based product line is the um, is the attention to detail, is the quality control processes that are put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, you you can have stuff made in other places and you can have the variation within the exact same model be quite different. You know, some are not quite so good and some are beyond fantastic. Um, And what the German technology does, what the German um, uh, attention to detail mindset does, is keep those variations and those tolerances very, very tight on anything they push to their QC. So... You know what's good. You know what meets that specification. You don't have something come in that, um, you know, has any debris in it or the resolution or the brightness is any different. I mean, it's consistently good all the time. Well, yeah, I know there's a lot of companies out there
0: that will cut corners to increase their profit margin. It don't appear that GPO or Zeiss or Swarovski, um when you get to that level you know you're getting what you pay for
1: yeah i mean there's no doubt i mean our our advantage versus those other european companies is you know we're we're a fairly new company right we've been around six years now and um you know some of these other companies that have been around zeiss for example has been around 165 years or something like that yeah the the infrastructure we have we built this company on a very lean efficient modern infrastructure and those other companies they carry decades and decades even centuries of infrastructure pensions they have to fund factories they have to fund uh tax structures that they've fallen into mm-hmm. and as a new startup company Having all the technology to do what we do without those giant infrastructure costs, um, you know, we can build product um, at that premium European level at uh, a far better pricing structure for the end consumer. They can get a lot more bang for their buck now. Well, your line has really increased dramatically in a very short period
0: of time. Yeah, I'm sorry, the what? Your, Your line, you're covering scopes uh, range finders, binos, spotting scopes. You, you, you have a pretty broad, uh, product line.
1: We have a pretty broad product line. You are right. I mean, we started with just some binoculars and some rifle scopes a few years ago, um, expanded on those to kind of fit the, you know, in business, what we call the twenty eighty rule: 20% of your SKUs in any company is going to be 80% of your revenue. Yeah. Um, so, 20% of the optics SKUs out there are the, the lion's share of what customers are looking for, the features they want. You know, you're not filling niche product lines, niches within a product line, I should say. Um, so, you know, we've really been focusing on let's fill that 2080 rule in the optics market, give as many people exactly what they're looking for as absolutely possible. Um, so yes, we started with some rifle scopes and binoculars. We've expanded the binoculars, we've expanded the rifle scopes, we've we've uh, uh jumped much, much further into the range finding business. We have handheld range finders, range finding binoculars, which really showcases our engineering capabilities. Uh, there's a lot of companies out there, not only can they not even get it to market yet, a range finding binocular. But the, there's a lot of ones out there that are really not very good. And yeah. so this, this is showcasing the technology we're capable of. Um you'll see spotting scopes in the very near future from us. Um and uh you know we're expanding into red dot sites, tactical scopes now, um uh thermal in the in the future. So the line's growing very, very fast. Uh but again, our objective is. Let's pass along great pricing structure to the end consumer, uh, produce 80% of the SKUs that are, uh, I'm sorry, 20% of the SKUs that are 80% of the market, um, and keep this company lean and make it effective for people, cost effective for people to buy GPO products. Now, do you
0: personally uh, test all the products when you're out in the field? Um <laughs>
1: We've got uh, about 60 SKUs in the line now. So, I mean, it's gotten quite <laughs> quite big. Um, I've had my hands on every single one of them. I've probably had half the rifle scopes on guns. I've played with all the binoculars and rangefinders in depth, carry them around my neck. or But, you know, with, with that many SKUs, you end up zeroing in on your favorite items in the product line. And right. uh, that's what I pretty much have stuck on all my stuff now. Well, you're a consummate
0: outdoorsman, you're a long range shooter, you're a do-it-yourself hunter. Um, what piece of uh, GPO equipment do you find that you can't do without when you're out there? Uh,
1: you know, there's there's a couple of things. Um, range finding binoculars is certainly the shift in the marketplace, there, there's no doubt. Yep. And for, for 90% of the people, they want a binocular, they want a range finder, and it fits all of their needs. Um, I'm a West Coast, uh, Rocky Mountain, um, Southwest kind of hunter myself. So I have uh, um, larger binoculars. I'm using our 12 and a half by 50s on a tripod out West. Okay. And it doesn't make sense to use a range finding binocular for long range glassing. And I've always carried a small hip range finder for ranging distances that I need. Um these super compact um 832s and 1032 range finding binoculars that have come out now are um I think it's changing the equipment guys are carrying because I've now replaced my handheld hip, you know, range finder with a Small pair of range finding binoculars gives me another tool in the field. Um, rifle scopes, generally the higher magnification scopes for western hunting is what I've shifted to. Um, things with turrets you can dial in ballistic reticles that'll help you um, quickly pick up a shot acquisition at you know at a further distance. So higher power scopes, higher power, higher power binoculars, and uh, range finding bino, three optics I've got. You know, uh, weight I'm carrying up those mountains every single day. Uh, it's uh, you got to be in good shape to get up and down those mountains. Yeah, I'm not getting any younger, and I think the mountains are getting a lot bigger, so I can't figure out what's happening here. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate
0: <laughs> now. I know everyone wants to know about you know, what was your most gratifying hunt and things of that nature. What I want to know is. What was your biggest hunting blooper?
1: Biggest hunting blooper. Um, I got a lot of them. <laughs> you know, my best one, probably when I was a kid, I was archery hunting in Arizona uh, with my uh, with my brother and we're archery javelina hunting. And we're sitting at the bottom of a canyon and we find a group of javelina up on a, up on a ridge line. And he says, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna go left, you go right. We'll kind of come in on one uphill, downhill. Zero in on these pigs, and maybe one of us can kill a pig today. So I take up the bo- take off up the bottom of this canyon. In the bottom of this big canyon, have these big round boulders stacked next to each other, and you kind of to get up the canyon, I kind of had to hop from one to the next to the next. Well, I slipped, um, crashed hard, fell head first in between three rocks with my arms stuck wedged to my sides and I'm stuck upside down between these three rocks in the bottom of this giant canyon and I mean I was stuck I was really really stuck and if I was by myself I'd have really been in trouble but you know the more I wiggled and tried to get out the deeper it pushed me in between those rocks and I had my head kind of pinned to the side on the ground and I wasn't hurt but I was really stuck upside down shoved in between these rocks and I was there for an hour and a half. Wow. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, my brother shows up and he's, you know, he, he came looking for me because I never met up with him up the canyon. And he didn't know where I went. I was gone. So he said, well, he's going to backtrack the direction I came and see if he can find me. So he's coming down the bottom of my canyon. He can see my feet sticking up above <laughs> rocks. and he ends up coming and pulling me out backwards. But, uh, Yeah, that was a blooper. Getting stuck upside down in rocks on an archery hunt was one. I've taken a couple of those falls myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you hunt enough, um, you're going to fall, you have a chance to get hurt. And I spend, you know, my passion now are these, you know, five, seven-day backpack, do-it-yourself, freeze-dried food, filtration water kind of hunts. But, uh, yeah, sooner or later, you hunt enough, you're going to fall down some. Yeah, those uh, do-it-yourself hunts can be
0: uh, interesting, exciting, and you don't know what the hell's going to
1: come your way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of work, but I don't know. Um, just being that far away from everybody, um, kind of, kind of uh, living out of your backpack for so many days is. I, my wife calls me absolutely crazy, uh, but it's just one of these things you like to do. It's what we need to do to get away. You bet. You bet it is.
0: So uh, we're going to take a, a quick break to uh, acknowledge some of our sponsors. Um, Underwood Ammo, of course, always a standard of excellence. Um, Scope and uh, Pyro Putty, uh, they are you know, always innovative with products. And, of course, Hunt of a Lifetime, we're going to hear from them in a second. And we'll be right back we love our children we protect them we guide them we prepare them for life in the world with all that we do from deep in our hearts we cannot control all things life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year while we cannot change the circumstance we can make dreams come true dreams to provide hope to provide spiritual healing and strength to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a non-profit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Okay, and we are back with Mike Jensen from GPO Optics. Mike, what I want to know is um, what makes an optic, uh, a rifle scope, what makes it harness in all that light when you get to first light, last light? when you need it the most.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a, there's a couple of tricky, uh, tricky equations here. You know, one of the biggest fallacies out there and people use it all the time, I've used it forever, is that great optics are actually gathering light. Um, technically, optics don't gather light. Optics transmit the available light. The catch is, is the best glass and the best coatings you can put on a lot of different lenses to make an optic, um, to make them push through, or I should say, allow through the most light possible, gives you the brightest binocular. So lower quality binoculars have lower quality glass, have lower quality custom coatings on them, and they end up blocking 10 to 20% more of the available light than you should be able to get through those lenses. So that's the first thing, you know, binoculars and riflescopes are transmitting light and the better quality glass and the better quality coatings transmit more of it. Um, The other big piece to the equation is uh, you know when it gets dark and your pupil starts to dilate and open up, your (sighs) pupil's basically saying feed me more light, right? And your pupil when it's bright outside is maybe a little two millimeter dot. And when it's dark, um, it'll open up to five or six millimeters. Little kids' eyes will open up to seven or eight millimeters. But there's an interesting combination between the size of your pupil at that point in time and the size of the diameter of the beam of light coming out of the optic at that particular time. So a um the the size of the beam of op, beam of light coming out of a binocular is generally a mathematical equation. It is the magnification divided into the size of the objective lens size. So a ten power binocular that's got a fifty millimeter objective on the front, divide that and you get a five millimeter beam of light coming out of the back. Well, the higher magnification you go, the smaller that beam of light is. Yeah. Or conversely, the bigger the objective lens is on the front of it, the larger the beam of light is. So on a rifle scope, when you have a lot of variation in magnification, you're actually varying the size of that beam of light. And if it's getting dark and you want, you know, you, you know, you want to be able to see through your optic perfectly, um, and your pupils at four millimeters. Um, then, if you have a beam of light coming out of the rifle scope smaller than four millimeters, yeah, then basically it's going to just automatically look dimmer, right? Because your eye saying feed me more light, but the beam of light smaller than the diameter of your of your pupil. Um, so it's it's a combination of that. So in low light conditions, things look a little darker because your pupil's opening up saying feed me more light and the beam of light's generally fixed. A 10 by 42 binocular is giving you a 4.2 millimeter beam of light. Yeah. If you want to carry a little compact pair of binoculars, like a 10 by 25, that's only a 2.5 millimeter beam of light. So obviously when nighttime comes and your pupils start opening up, they look pretty dim. Well, that's that's mathematics. You can have a 10 by 25, a little binocular, transmit the exact amount of light, a 10 by 50 will transmit, the brightness of that beam is exactly the same. The difference is the diameter of the beam of light coming out of the back. That's the trick. Never knew that. I, I just always went with the
0: best stop that I could find. Or- yeah,
1: I mean, that always helps. Even on the smaller <laughs> compact ones, it always helps. You get some binoculars out there that are transmitting 70 or 80% of the available light through them. Yeah. You know, G- GPOs up in that premium category with the Swarovskys, Isis, and Lykas, you know, we're at 92, 93% of the available light. That's about yep. as good as you can get, as yep. any of us can get. Um, so yeah, obviously a 10 by 42 that's pushing through 93% light or a 10 by 42 that's pushing through 80% of the light, that's a big difference. It's huge. Now you've been around the industry a long time and you've worked with some of the best companies out there. I have. I, I mean, I've I've had a very lucky, um, you know, I always say I'd rather be lucky than good. I've had a very lucky path through the industry, started in a family business, running retail, wholesale, law enforcement, distribution company. Then I went to go work for Swarovski. I was sales manager at Swarovski for eight years. Wow. Um, Wanted to get back on the gun side of the business really hard, so I took a job with Remington. I ended up as vice president of sales there at Remington and all of the brands underneath the Remington brand, back in the big Remington days. Um, those yep. those days are gone now. Uh, but I was there for six years, and then I was the CEO at Zeiss for, for five years. Uh, and then you think, well, I know enough about optics and in the industry and the customers. Uh, I think we can do this ourselves. Uh, what, uh, so You didn't start GPO. You you are on the uh, U.S. side of it. On the U.S. side of it, I started it from scratch, 100%. My partner in Germany was the CEO of the Zeiss Global brand. Uh He originally hired me to go work for Zeiss. Um, He broke away at about the same time I broke away, and he says, Mike, I've got this this uh, crazy idea. I've got access to all of their components and supply chains and manufacturing uh, sub-component companies, as well as some of the best engineers in the world. You've got access to the largest market in the world. You know the optics business and all the customer base. So why don't we build, you know, start a partnership here. I'll do the production, design, and engineering from our side. You do the sales, marketing, and distribution from your side. So yeah, technically I was a big piece in getting it off the ground. That's that's a huge undertaking. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of hours on the front side before you kind of even turn the light switch on, yes. Yeah,
0: uh, just the technology alone. How long did it take you to develop your first product?
1: Uh, it was um, probably two years before we shipped our first unit you know from from the time he put the engineers on board he had access to the component supply chain you know for sure. sure uh but then they sit down and they say okay here's the rifle scope line we want to get started i think we started with 10 or 12 skus and here's the binocular line we want and we started with uh about 8 skus and two different price points uh and um uh yeah, then they got started. So we when we when we came to market, it was about 20 units, 15 to 20 different SKUs when we started. Uh-huh. I think we're over 80 now. So it's wow. uh, it's uh
0: moving right along. That's uh that's a tremendous amount of growth in a
1: short period of time. It is, and and I think what's causing the growth, obviously people like buying great stuff, there's no doubt. Obviously, the the German engineering and the German capabilities add a little bit of nostalgia to it. That helps a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but up from the American side, uh, the the price value or the price performance ratio of what we're bringing to market is what's you know is what's causing all the stir out there. They you know they're saying, wait a minute, I can buy I can buy a premium European optic now at in many cases virtually half the price of some of these other big brands out there and there's no visual difference between the two. Um, Customers like that. And you know, inflation is not helping anybody right now. Your dollar simply doesn't go as far right now. Quite honestly, it puts GPO in a pretty significant catbird seat on competing with those other European brands because our um, price performance ratio is so far ahead of them. Yeah. Now, do you have any supply chain issues? Uh, yeah, we'd have had some supply chain issues. I think like anybody down to the tennis shoe business to the people trying to put lettuce on the grocery store shelves have had some supply chain issues. Um, you know, we, we've, um, we've missed um, fairly strongly on a couple of SKUs that were important to us this year. We've delivered some, but you know, not at the rate we wanted to. The advantage I have here is the Germany side of it. They handle sales and distribution through the rest of the world, and I'm taking care of the North American market. Um, for what I'm what I'm doing here for sales, service, and distribution, I'm you know I've got my warehouse loaded with product. We're inventorying a ton, you know, ton, ton of product here as well. But if I run low, I'm not in a one-step distribution channel where I've gotta make sure I'm scheduling out of production correctly because Germany has a giant inventory as well for the rest of the global market. So as I'm running a little low on certain items, I can extract out of Germany's inventory and that's that's dramatically helped our business here. So yeah, we've had some supply chain issues. Um, right now, I, I think we're shipping at 95% right now. So I mean, we're we're full right now coming into season, which is, which is fortunate, um, but, um, you know, it's just part of running a business. You know, there's there's always a new challenge that's dropped on your desk every morning. You got a lot of flexibility having, uh, you know, uh, a global market. Yeah, the global market is giant. I mean, that helps us um, more than you can imagine, because if we were just running production and sales and you've got a supply chain, guess what? You're selling zero, zero. Um, I had I had no zero SKUs this year. There were some months where I was out of some and SKUs, but we had we've had no SKUs with zero units out the door this year. Um, you know, due to supply chain issues. Even when supply chain was giving production problems, they had inventory. So I had a um I had an advantage um versus the rest of the global market. Sure. So if I'm in the market for optics, why am I buying GPU? uh you know you're getting one of the best optical products ever produced uh you're you're getting something with the best technology in the world um you know especially our electronics or optoelectronic um uh, category some of the best made out there um and you're getting it at you know substantial savings you know our our premium binoculars are um more than a thousand dollars less than some of the European premium stuff. So you can get a premium uh European optic at dramatically better prices and you can convert that money into gasoline. That's a big <laughs> number. <gotta>, you gotta <laughs> use it somewhere, right? So better to keep <laughs> it in your pocket and use it for gas and pay an extra 15% for the steaks for the barbecue. We're only
0: two bucks a gallon more than uh, we were a couple of
1: years ago. <laughs> oh, they posted some <laughs> some post the other day that I about jumped out of my chair and said uh, when gas prices had come down like 50 cents or a dollar a gallon, uh, they were promoting, I'm not going to say what network, but one of the pro- networks was promoting uh, America just got a pay raise. Yep. It's still two bucks more than it was a few years ago, but it, oh, now that we're saving a dollar a gallon, we just got a pay raise. How, how can you do that? That's like looking at somebody and saying, uh, the price of this item's a dollar and I'm gonna charge you $2 for it. Oh, but wait, I'm gonna charge you 190 and I just made you 10 cents. It's crazy, crazy. <laughs> they think the American public is stupid. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> the bottom a lot line. <laughs> of, there's a lot of that going on out there. You are correct.
0: Yeah, well, what do you have in store for us this year? uh, Anything new coming out, or anything you're going to be uh, uh, debuting at Chacha? Uh,
1: Yeah, we're going to debut. We're not going to be expanding our range finding binocular category anymore because you know we just introduced those 32s this year, and that those 50 millimeter and 32 millimeter um, range finding binos kind of fills dramatically fills that 2080 roll. Um, but we will have some new handheld rangefinders next year. We will have new binocular, uh new binocular category next year. Uh we're gonna have uh new tactical rifle scopes next year, new long-range hunting rifle scopes next year. Um, so we're expanding, we're continuing to fill some of these high-volume gaps that that aren't in the portfolio. So I, I think we've got eight or ten new SKUs, uh six, uh, seven, eight. Yeah, maybe a dozen new SKUs next year. Well, in this economy, that's a a big number too. Yeah, yeah, and 12 more SKUs is 12 more SKUs of inventory. You've got to plan, stock, fill, market, you know, all of the above. So it's um, getting – the American market is so gigantic, and it takes a lot of time and effort to – get the word out on these are new SKUs or these are new items or what we have and what we don't have. So even, you know, interviews like this today are a huge help, you know, for a, you know, growing company like GPO uh, you know, a lot of the industry is saying oh, it's going to be soft or flat or down a little bit next year, but we're still so new in the market. So big, we're just, you know, we're just taking market share. So we've got, we've got a lot of growth, a lot of years of growth, for us in front of us before we consider we're saturated and we've gotta, you know, we've gotta follow those economic trends. We're just gonna grow. Well,
0: you're around the industry long enough. It's always good to see uh, a new emerging company and grow, expand,
1: and be successful. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of work, but it's very, very satisfying. I gotta say, you know, being in the industry, I love this industry. I love every brand in this industry. I don't care whose it is because it all contributes to our lifestyle, our way of life and what we love to do. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I just couldn't imagine. Couldn't agree with
0: you more. (laughs) Well, I definitely appreciate your time. We're running out of time here. Where can we find your products?
1: Uh, You can go to any of your local retail store. Uh, We're adding retailers as fast as we can get to them. If they don't carry it, they can certainly order it from us um, and bring it into their store. Uh, Any of your listeners uh, who have a local store that isn't stocking GPO, yeah, go in and ask them. Say, hey, you need to put the GPO line on your shelf. It's a real value to us customers. Uh, you can also get our product online on our website at gpo-usa.com. It's also available there, but our focus on our support, my focus and support is I want to watch the retail base grow because those retailers nationwide are the ones who support our way of life. And um, that's what I want this brand to do.
0: Well, anything uh, we can do to help you along, always feel free to ask. And I definitely appreciate your time and uh, what you've done in the industry is tremendous.
1: And I, I, admire that well thank you thank you it's a lot of work every day but you wake up with a smile every day can't complain yes we do all right well thanks again and thank you see you on our next episode you bet thanks for your time